Well, church family, friends, visitors, would you turn in your Bibles or to your bulletins to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, uh, we're going to be looking at this passage. Um, if you have your Bibles as well, you can open them to Isaiah 28, we'll be looking at that, that later in the sermon. And for Covenant Kids, we're glad you're here too. And I want to give you an image to be thinking of as we prepare for this passage. Uh, think of the game Jenga. Some of you know about that, that game. It's when you've got these different blocks and they're stacked upon each other and you take a block out and you put it on top. If you've ever played that, maybe you've even played on a wobbly table, which just adds to the challenge. It, it eventually falls over. But what the Apostle Paul is going to be talking to the church in Ephesus about, talking to us about, is how God is building together a temple, not a tower. And he's putting bricks together, joining them together. People, you and I, bound in Christ on a foundation that's not wobbly. And what God is building, it will not be shaken. It will not fall. Because it is held together by his spirit. Let's hear from God's word together. It is the, the grass that withers and the flowers that fade, but the word of our God is what we build our lives upon. It will last forever. Listen, hear God's word from Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is your word. We are your people. Would you build up your church in and through us as we grow in our understanding of who you are, of how your word strengthens us, not in our wisdom and not in our resources, but in your grace and in your steadfast love, Lord. Would you build us up for the sake of your kingdom? that we would live faithfully within it and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we can live worlds apart from each other, can't we? Even though my wife and I were both raised in the PCA and uh, we've got similar backgrounds, uh, similar situations in larger families, we went to the same college, we have very... Very many of our close friends are the same. Uh, it's amazing to me that over the 16 plus years of marriage, our worlds still are colliding. <laughs> We're still being brought together. The, the worlds that we've come from are different priorities and values, uh, things that work themselves out in very practical ways, like how we parent, uh, what shows we like, how we decide what to do on a Saturday or on a weekend. Our worlds are still being conformed as they collide together. But God has made us one. 
Marriage, as many of you know, can be hard. It's a picture for us of, of worlds that are joined together by God that form into a single new identity. They are that way, and yet they're in the process of being joined together. We are growing together as a couple. And you know that experience. You can imagine how worlds colliding can be difficult. And that's part of what was being addressed by the Apostle Paul in this passage in Ephesians is worlds that were vastly different from each other. Remember, Ephesus is a bit of a melting pot. It's a city from all nations being made up. And the church is no exception to that. God had brought Paul, had sent Paul to evangelize, and the Gentiles from different nations had joined with, with the Jewish believers into the church. And now you've got these worlds that are very different culturally, in language, in dietary habits, in ways of thinking, even hostilities towards one another. God has brought now together, joined them as one. And they're in the process of being made one, growing in their worlds, aligning ultimately to the same identity in Christ. They're being conformed in those ways into who Christ is for a very important purpose, a glorious purpose of being joined to be a temple, a presence of the Lord God Almighty. God is at work building up his church in Ephesus, and he's at work building up his church here. In Chattanooga and East Brainerd and in Ringgold, he's at work joining people from various backgrounds and worlds that are colliding together in what he's at work doing to build his church to be one. This is what Paul's describing in our passage this morning. If you look with me in verse 19, at least the first half, you see what God uh, is reminding us of what we once were. Look with me as Paul writes. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. This is a reference to verse 12 as well. This is a, a repetition. Paul's emphasizing this. And he describes the, how we were apart from Christ uh, as strangers and aliens. The word's very similar together, almost synonyms. As strangers, we were people of other nations, other backgrounds, not familiar in this new place he's brought us to. And as aliens, we are, were people without a home. We were wanderers. That's what God is describing what we once were as wandering strangers, without a home, without rights, without a family. Paul wants us to understand this because as we are seeking to understand how God is joining us together, we understand he's bringing us from something, bringing us from a world of values, a world of origin that's vastly different from the world that he's bringing us into because that world is a world not of this world. It's a kingdom that belongs to God. It's a kingdom with a king who is the Lord Jesus. And if you've got your Bibles open, uh, Look up to verse 13. Pastor Bill preached on this passage last week. It's important to remind ourselves how God does this, how he brings us in to this kingdom. Look 
look into, and see how Paul describes it. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought near because of the Lord's work that he actually entered into our world. He stepped out of his into ours, becoming like in, in the form of a, of a servant entered into our world, a world that's full of sin and brokenness, of grief, so that he'd be described as a man of sorrows, acquainted with what we endure. He stepped into our world to know us and to love us but also to redeem us, to draw us out of a world of sorrow and sickness and sin and death. And he's done this by covering us with his own blood. It's not by the works of our hands. It's not by what we have done. It's what he has done to bring us from being far off to near, from being lost and helpless wanderers to being people with a new identity together. This is what Paul's continuing to say in 19. Uh, he, he's saying God has done this. He's, he's changed your identity. He's given you new life, but a new identity. From Jew and Gentile, you are now fellow citizens together. In Christ, Jew and Gentile Worlds that are so polarized have been reconciled, brought, and made one. These are fellow citizens together, people who are part and made of a heavenly nation, a heavenly kingdom, bound together, not by hobbies or interests, not by a nationality or a, a, a vocational calling or even a race, not a family name, not a socioeconomic class, but bound together by the most precious substance and purpose, the very blood of God. That's what unites us together in Christ. More than any other commonality that we share, we are bound together by what God has done through Jesus. And so we who've placed our hope in Christ have been made a part of that citizenship. And you are connected to those who have been made a part of that citizenship, who are some around the world today, and you are closer to them who've also placed their hope and faith in Christ than you are to some of your neighbors or even family members. Because God is at work building this, this structure together, this kingdom together. Now, he, he doesn't stop at just fellow citizens. He describes it, we're fellows with these two other identities that we're brought into. We are fellows in this. Saints and, and members of the household of God. We're citizens with those who are saints. Those who are no longer defined by their sin or their guilt from sin or their shame and their disconnection to one another because of sin. We are brought into the saints who are defined as holy ones. Declared that way, redefined in Christ. That's who you've been joined together with, new identities, holy ones. 
but you've also been uh, identified and drawn into those who are members of the household of God. This is a one word that Paul uses, uh, household ones, uh, ones who have belong to the family. God is telling us that he has made you as citizens, not just part of a kingdom, but he's brought you in to be part of a family. Your identity is familial. It's holy because of Christ, and it's familiar, brothers and sisters. It's terms we often use when we greet each other, brother, sister. But think about what God is saying. He's he's actually describing familial connections between us. For those who hope in Christ, it's the same kind of connection that you feel when you don't walk into someone, you don't knock on, you just walk right into a family member's house, right? Or you just open the fridge up and get whatever you want. Or you grab the TV remote control because you're you're family. Because you know you're wanted and, and you know that God has desired you to be part of this family. We live with this identity that we're loved. It's part of what God's drawing us into is to understand that he, he wants us to belong. He wants us to be known and known that he desires us, us in this family. You're loved in Christ Jesus. Just a few months ago, uh, my family got our first pet, a little cat. She was a rescue kitten. And uh, it's been a a wonderful thing for our our kids in particular. They have flocked this this, uh, little kitten, and it's been fun to see her start to grow up. And and as uh, they've been feeding her and giving her more care and attention than their poor dad, uh, they have loved this kitten well. And at one point, I was left in control of, of taking care of the cat. They were going away for a weekend, and one of my kids just happened to say, Dad, don't forget to feed the cat. <laughs> Immediately in my mind was the thought, do you not know <laughs> that I'm the one who brought this cat into the family? Do you not know that I'm the one that buys the food for this cat? Do you not know that I love this cat? And then the second thought was, what have I done as a father to make me, make my daughter or my my child think that I would forget the cat? (laughs) But at times, this is how we pray to God and treat God. There's a hidden presupposition underneath that request do you really care about the kitten? And it's the same thing that we can have in our own hearts before God. Lord, are you going to forget the kitten? Lord, are you going to forget about my cancer? Lord, are you going to forget about my unemployment? Or my, my child who's wayward? The Lord wants us to know we're desired, we're loved, loved beyond imagined because he's brought us into his family so that we would never doubt his love, so that we would move forward together, confident in him. You see, this is important for us because he's not just building individual identities in Christ, but he talks about this in the plural, you, you together. He's developing a corporate identity for his people that we belong to one another and that we would build our lives together upon him. 
This is the greatest secure place is upon Christ. And it's important for us to understand the the security in which he, he joins us in his love together because there are all sorts of other kinds of identities we can build our lives upon. Some are very good identities. Identities like being a hard worker. Identities like being a parent. Identities uh, like being even a pastor. Good callings. Good identities. But when we build our chief identity in those ways, we're going to be shattered because the foundation of our identities isn't fully secure. The identity of of who we are in Christ is the sure foundation that we build our lives because if we build it on our hard work, we will drift our hearts towards workaholism, being consumed by making that our chief identity. Or as parents, uh, when when our children leave, we're left with empty nests and our hearts are broken or our lives are shattered. Or in our vocations. God wants us to build our chief identities together upon the, the, the work that he's at work building. Look with me in verse 20. Because Paul's continuing this, that we are built on the foundation, the, the secure foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And Paul is saying is that we're actually building our identity together on that which God has been building from the beginning. Our identity is built on his promise and his work. Uh, The apostles and prophets are those who were messengers, proclaimers of God's word. They were drawing people to the one who was faithful, to the one who will provide in all things. You see, and they've given us, God has given us in this this, uh, identity of being a family, a foundation that has a story of God's faithfulness that is now our story. Is the testimonies uh, of, of what God's people have endured, the exodus being brought out of slavery. That's our family story of those who are prophets of old who are proclaiming and, and drawing us to the character and work of God and the apostles who testified to Christ in his presence and in his ministry. There are stories. We all have family stories. We all have national stories. But as the corporate identity in Christ, we have his story. And it's a secure foundation because it's a story that comes from him, not from us. It's a story that we build our lives upon. And it points all of it to Christ as the cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone is unique in two ways. One, it's a support stone. So when you're building a house in the ancient world, you lay a cornerstone, everything on that building, all the other rocks, all the walls, they all hinge on that one stone. So they form the structure, the support that we're all dependent upon. 
But they also are formative. It's a formative stone. In the ancient world, unlike the kind of housing we build today where you can find very perfectly measured stones, in the ancient world, you found whatever stone would fit that would form the kind of building you wanted. And depending on what that stone was, determined the size and direction, the angles, the build of that home or that structure. See, Paul is saying, he's, he's using this word cornerstone, and he's drawing us to the idea that it's actually forming our hearts and lives. It's aligning the worlds apart into Christ. It's forming his purposes in us. If you've got Isaiah 28, also flip over to this, because we see God use this image of cornerstone in verses 15 and 16, and excuse me, in verse 18, excuse me, um, but, but look at verse 15, beginning in verse 15. God is talking to his people and what they've been building their lives, their identities upon. What is led to is a foundation like this. He says, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol we have an agreement. And so skip down to 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be, it says in haste, but it means to be put to shame. Your identity will be built secure. All other identities are building a covenant with death. And God is inviting you who might be far off this morning to turn from the foundation of building an identity on yourself and build it upon Christ. A sure foundation, a secure place. Because in Christ, we have peace with God. He has covered us. And that peace with ourselves, it enables us to have peace with others. I don't need to justify or defend myself. I don't need to look good or be righteous in myself because I belong to the sure foundation. I can let hurt no longer define me. I can let my sin go, pouring it out on Christ. That's what God has done. My security is no longer in a covenant with death and hell. But I belong to a sure foundation. It's formative. We are desired, we're secure, but we're also valued in this family. Our identities being merged together. God has value in those worlds colliding. He has purpose in our lives. Because together we are reflecting the wor- in the world the, the peace of God, the life that comes through Christ. But look with how Paul puts it in verses 21 and 22. We're built on, a, on the cornerstone that is Christ in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what we said at the beginning. Living stones being grafted together. Worldviews colliding. Life in Christ 
Because of the peace he has given us, we are living in the peace that reflects who he is. Notice here that it's growing as well. Every part of this temple is important. We are built upon each other and we're building. We're building, the Lord is building as he goes, as he reaches the various nations and peoples all over the world. The mission of God from the beginning has been to draw others who are far off into his family and to make those who are far off valuable and instrumental in the formation of this structure. You are important to this building. You are important to the family of God. I know it doesn't always feel that way because we live in our own isolated worlds often. But God is saying he wants you in this family because he intends to use you to build up the family. That he's interconnected us and that your presence matters, not just in worship, but in each other's lives. He's building a community of interdependent living stones. We're joined together and we're growing together. You're wanted, you're secure, but you're needed. Part of the reason why it's important for us to gather at picnics together, to fellowship and have our lives knit together. Come tonight, pray during our praise, prayer, and fellowship. Have our hearts knitted together. You're needed. God says he uses his people for the purpose of this, this presence to be his dwelling place by his spirit. Regardless of our abilities, our circumstances, our age, young and old, God wants you. He values you as a part of his family. Because all of it together is testifying as a presence where God Almighty intends to make his dwelling. Paul is saying here is truly unbelievable in some ways had it not been God telling us this. That God actually wants to make his home on earth through you and I together. Just as we are made at home because of Christ, God makes his home on earth, his people, together. You are valuable. And that's true not just here, but it's true for believers around the world. It's why we as a church pray consistently for our brothers and sisters around the world. It's why we have to think outside of our small church into the church that exists in the streets all over Chattanooga, those who testify to the grace and work of Christ in their lives. That there are brothers and sisters right now who are suffering in Ukraine and Israel and brothers and sisters who are suffering in Russia and Palestine. Lord brought this to me in a tangible way a few years ago when we were traveling uh, to Israel for a, for a tour where we have some of our family right now uh, there as well too. 
And at one point, uh, we, we took the tour bus from the Israeli portion down to the Palestinian section of Bethlehem that's owned by this Palestinian, Palestinian government. And we had to get off the Israeli tour bus with our Israeli tour guide, and we had to get on the bus with a Palestinian tour guide, the Palestinian bus, and we were toured around Bethlehem. And they took us by this, this uh, market that was selling these unbelievably beautiful olive wood sculptures. They were gorgeous, depicting biblical scenes and characters, um, the price tag of which was far beyond my pay grade. And the owner of the shop came over to me and he, he started doing his his sales pitch. You need to buy one of these. Won't it look beautiful in your home? Oh, we can make a deal. I'll haggle with you. I'll knock $10 off of an $800 sculpture. I can't do that. I'm so sorry. I'm a pastor. I don't have these reasons. They're beautiful. And he took me by his, by my arm. He put his arm around me. He pulled me aside. And he said, you have to understand something. None of these sculptures mean anything. The only thing that matters is that we have been covered by the blood of Christ together. A Palestinian believer in Christ, testifying a world away to God's grace in his life, who I've been joined together in as a brother. God wants you as a part of this family. And he wants you to, to share the message of what he's done with a world who is far off so that their worlds would collide with the world of the kingdom of God. During World War II, let me shift just a bit, there was a circumstance in which Hitler had pressed on the church to conform to his world. And the Brethren Church, many churches, struggled. They struggled uh, to know what to do. Many went ahead and did what, exactly what Hitler wanted. And many resisted. And not just them, but their families suffered. Many of them were put in concentration camps. Many of them died. And after World War II, this Brethren Church in particular was brought back together. Two completely different worlds and circumstances that have happened during Nazi Germany. Reunited together. You can only imagine what those worlds colliding look like. The anger and the bitterness and the resentment. Why didn't you stand up to Hitler like we did? There was great hostility. And, and what, what they said happened as they began to meet to discuss what they needed to do next in this recon, reconcil, reconciled now new era is they committed themselves to prayer and to confessing all of their sins before one another. They spent days in prayer crying out to God, even sharing their frustrations with the Lord. Francis Schaeffer, talking with a friend who was there, asked, what happened next? The friend who was there said, 
We were just one because of Christ. Christ, as we confessed our hostilities and our bitterness and our anger, we yielded control to him. And the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity where they were brought together, God's people as one. Only Christ can do this. A holy temple together, testifying that we belong to a king who has made us one in him. Let's pray. Father, would you be with us now? Help us to remember who we once were and who we are now. Resting in your work, in the unity that you have formed for us. So that we would have hearts to love the way you love those who were far off from you this morning. That you would enable us to testify to the peace that comes only from knowing you. That the world around us that are colliding with your kingdom would taste and see that you are good through your people here today. We ask for your blessing, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.